0: ago. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back.
1: Exploring uncharted territory. Totally charted. <laughs> sure, sure. The only reason she babysits
2: is
3: to have a
0: Halloween.
4: Okay. Come on out.
5: Welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza, Episode Twenty Four. Doing John Carpenter's original Halloween, but also getting into the sequels, um, Halloween Kills. Of course, the, the latest one comes out on Friday, I believe, three days from now. Um, so I, I hope that this will, you know, find its way, stalking its way into the algorithm and uh, getting getting pushed up onto people's
4: <laughs>
5: like suggested videos or something. But I am um, joined, as always, by J. Andrew World, my co-host.
4: Hello,
2: hello. What's going on? Not Conan a whole Neutron. lot.
5: Conan <laughs> Neutron of the, of the Rock Band. <laughs> oh, really?
2: That's your answer
6: to that? What uh, whatever. That's it's it. on a show, NBD.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Conan Neutron of the Rock Band, Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. And host of the long-running music interview podcast, Protonic Reversal, and frequent guest and co-host on this show.
2: I'm pretty sure it's with his secret friends. No. Fire that man.
5: (laughs) Conan Neutron speaks to his secret friends. Um, (laughs)
6: Stop obfuscating. We're trying to keep the brand going, baby. Come on.
5: (laughs) Okay. We're joined by Karthik. Frequent co-host, gonna um, be co-host, main co-host on uh, on on Thursday for the for the Tropic Thunder episode with Left Bank Vets, and of course uh, does uh, revolutionary tracks with Left Bank Vets and Alien Encounters on Substack, and we're also joined by JG Michael of the Parallax View,
7: also Halloween super
5: fan. So. Yep, Halloween, <laughs> Halloween historian, Halloween uh, long running fan, John Carpenter head. <laughs> I thought
2: you were gonna say Halloween Superstore, which is a different thing entirely. curious. <laughs> <laughs> yes. he's actually a closed down Michael's, which is where yeah, he gets exactly. his name from. By the way, up and a I was gonna, up.
7: I was gonna say real quick. It's good that we're doing a, a, a sort of retrospective on the Halloween movies because they just released um, the box set of the first five films in like 4K restoration, and apparently it's it's supposed to look amazing now in 4K
5: UHD or whatever. You can see every part of the nipple.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Those areolas is really pop. I, I'm probably looking for these forward aren't to on, them, right? We're, we're not the, the maggots in uh, <laughs> <laughs> Halloween 3, but that, that could just be me. Uh, I don't know.
7: I, I love well, the tagline for that one, too Halloween 3, the night no one came home.
5: <laughs> well, of course, Halloween uh, 2018, the tagline was the night no one came because there was absolutely no sex in that movie whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, wasn't that the
8: point of it seemed like that was the point right like I feel like this is uh, Mike Myers has got to be the w- world's biggest like cock block uh, on the planet <laughs> like basically um, well, and, and haven't you like seen Austin
2: Powers the...
8: <laughs> no I meant that I meant this
5: yeah.
2: <laughs> <right>, that's, that's <laughs> yeah,
5: that one, one million yeah, that <laughs> that, that's it no more of that no more groovy in the words of <laughs> You know, serial killer Michael Myers. Um, one, one interesting, one interesting thing that I I was listening to that podcast, um, Halloween Unmasked, which is um, the Ringer put it out um, when the when the last remake, so in two thousand eighteen, dropped, and they, they did like an eight episode deep dive. I mean, I sent it I think to everybody because um, I thought it was interesting. They interviewed John Carpenter, they interviewed Jamie Lee Curtis. Like it was a deep dive onto all these different um, parts of, of the show. And I guess the term serial killer really wasn't in vogue, I guess, in in the nineteen mm. seventies. It wasn't coined. Um, it got coined after that a little bit, like, you know, after like, around this time because it was like, you know, serials where they had like the pulp novels and stuff where it would be like an episodic. So it was like an episodic um killing spree, I guess. Which kind of sounds like a, a pretty um non professional <laughs> way to term that because that's you know, seen as like the professional term in, in a lot of cases, I think, for you know people that engage in those behaviors, but then they also had the Zodiac killer. At this point, they had um just you know killing sprees going on in in the nineteen seventies, like a lot, <laughs> and often well, targeting
6: that's what young Mindhunter girls. Is, right, like Mindhunter is like them talk. You know, it's like working out like what
8: became like serial killers.
6: Is that is that Fincher? Do we have to talk about Fincher if that's is that, that that's who did that? Right, if I remember correctly. Is yeah, he, I think he's a like,
8: producer. I don't know if he's the filmmaker uh, of the series, but. I do I know he has a
6: netflix special about cancel culture that apparently is coming out that somebody made a joke on it was like this is why irony is dead i think it was uh um uh, ed bermula from uh, um the internet i
5: can't remember his show name. is it called triggered because every every uh every special on cancel culture right exactly called triggered. but
6: <laughs> But it real, realistically, though, uh, you know, Mindhunter is kind of uh, one of the things I find interesting about that show is it actually did kind of talk about how there came to be these things known as serial killers. Whereas before, mm-hmm. I think I think they called them like um, uh, murder sprees, or they, they had like yeah. some kind of like more clunky language that didn't it didn't pop. Well, I, I was gonna
7: say in the in the original Halloween, Michael Myers is technically a spree killer, right? Because he only right. killed one other person before, and really, yeah. uh, he does it all over one night in '78. Yeah, uh, during his second kills. So
6: and well, especially if you consider to be- the twenty eighteen movie, which is really a remake of Halloween two. It's not a remake, it's a sequel. Right? Because mm-hmm. it's it they they, just, they got rid of all, all of the uh, Yeah, the it's not a it's
5: right. not a remake, it's not a remake whatsoever. It's like a, a direct follow up. Um, mm. well, no, I mean, what,
7: what's weird about that is there's still a lot of callbacks and references to all the other sequels.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Except for Chocolate. one thing. We never found out what happened to ben, uh, ben Tramer. I mean, like, you know, he was so dreamy. And, and Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, was like so embarrassed that, that uh, you know, Lori was so embarrassed that, that uh, her friend called him up and said that she thought he was cute. And then, you know, he got so unceremoniously killed in part two. And so now he hits a second chance in life. He's gone. Well, we may
7: we may see him in Halloween Kills. I mean, I, I was surprised. uh not not to spoil anything, but uh, I don't know if any of you caught on in the 2018 movie. Uh the the boyfriend uh, of Allison, I think that's Lonnie's son, and Lonnie was the kid that Loomis scares away in the first movie. Oh
4: right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: What
7: was it? there's
5: a lot of people. Yeah. Like,
0: what, what well,
5: it's did the say? same well, it's the same town too, which is yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's Haddonfield in both. And so it's like Haddonfield 40 years later. And I, I one thing that I do think is interesting is obviously john carpenter in the original halloween was kind of commenting on like white suburbia like you know what i mean like right. it's terrifying that more and more people are living in, in it's terrifying how many people live in suburb no it's terrifying that like more and more people live in these so-called safe neighborhoods and you know the most terrifying thing you think of number one is babysitters which is something that relates to everybody which they've said over and over again um both uh both john carpenter has talked about it and like the producers of the actual movie like the, that guy uh what's i JG, you definitely know the guy's name. Um, Was it Irwin
7: Yoblins or um, Mustafa Kod? Okay.
5: Yeah, yeah. So, well, both of them. And there's a making up documentary. They're both talking about the universality of – of, of babysitters and Erwin, yeah, that he he's the one that thought of the idea. It was supposed to be originally called the baby the babysitter murders or something like that.
7: I feel like no one would remember it today if they had called it the babysitter murders. It would oh, be like not. it'd be like one of those exploitation movies, like the toolbox murders that everyone forgets about except weirdos like me.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it was it's kind of in the vein of a lot of those exploitation films. Um, you know, uh, so so you know, the 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 fact that they named it something so iconic as Halloween um and, and kind of set the standard and i think uh too like like most of those uh uh exploitation films were set in cities for the most part um and and here we have it now uh you know transported to suburbia where where you know we are supposed to feel safe and yeah. away from the, that kind of crime could i well, add something well, yeah.
7: to that really quickly yeah i just wanted to say that and this is like an interesting side tangent we can get into later but i think the whole suburbia thing gets into um Carpenter's ideas about horror where he's sort of extrapolated on this idea that there can be a, uh, sort of left-wing, left-wing version of horror and a right-wing version of horror. And he sort of frames it as being like, uh, does the terror come from within or does it come from without as in like, um, you know, like a, a, is it a foreign invading force? That would be more right-wing horror. Whereas he's saying with Halloween, uh, the terror is coming from within. It's from within yeah. the suburbs where everything it's is all
4: coming from nice and, and perfect. perfect, right? <laughs> well, coming well, from the within
5: other the thing the is, is is the point of the original Halloween because there wasn't all of these franchises and there wasn't all of these exploitation movies in the way that they came afterwards, like the slasher ones. No, you
2: know I mean, I mean? there were exploitation like, movies before that. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, of- saying,
5: I'm saying the specific slasher, like like Friday the Thirteenth, like stuff like that, like. There, there there was a boom of slasher movies after Halloween that kind of followed a similar formula. They got the, the formula. There were a game. lot of
2: proto slasher films that were came out in the 70s that that uh have gotten lost to time. Um
5: oh, we just talked about um black black Christmas.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I was gonna say it's yeah, it's funny with Black Christmas because
7: right before Black Christmas was made, there was a movie, it's in public domain now called Silent Night, Bloody Night, not to be confused with Black Christmas. And it actually is a proto-slasher. Mainly with uh, people from Warhol Factory starring in it. It wasn't made by Andy Warhol, but it's one of those proto slashers that has very weird cast. And there were a lot of movies like that in the early seventies.
5: Yeah, well, and black exploitation is going on in the early seventies, which is an amazing, yeah, yeah. which is an amazing genre of, of movies. Um yeah, but it was that, a, you a know, lot of
2: exploitation films in general that were coming out in the seventies. So yeah, so, you know, it was just part of the zeitgeist and like. Through that became, you know, uh, came, came Halloween, which was like the the, uh, you know, w- w- I think the purest form of the slasher right there, you know, uh, and mm-hmm. where we got so many copies afterwards. But like, you know, it, it and wasn't. Copies are
5: based on a misreading, I think. Um, yeah, I you know, there, about that, but, but
7: there were two things I was going to add to that too. It's interesting too because we can't really talk about Halloween without talking about uh, Psycho, because you know, in addition to Jamie Lee Curtis. Literally, Already my did. point I've been trying Already to make. Yeah, yeah, but but there, there's another thing. In addition to Jamie Lee Curtis, Janet Lee's daughter being in it, you know, sort of taking up the mantle of, uh, you know, the, the scream queen. Uh, there's also the character of Sam Loomis being a character in Psycho. It's you know, uh, so he borrows a lot of names and there's a lot of callbacks to Psycho.
5: He also doesn't. He he pub- he uh, famously doesn't like. Um, he famously doesn't like coming up with names. He's not good at it. He says. <laughs> So if John Carpenter chooses names either from like people he actually knows in real life or from <laughs> people, pretty frequently. So this is this is this cues up the first clip that I had on this list uh perfectly about this is this is Jamie Lee Curtis talking about her experience uh shooting coming as an unknown actress but also like you know the the child of two fucking huge stars which I actually kind of I mean I respect the shit out of her for like not wanting to use her parents um if, if she could help it like not wanting to use her parents fame to you know boost her own career, like her parents on multiple, like multiple times, were like, "Hey, we could help you get a movie going." Yeah. And she's like, "Oh no, I want to audition for and win myself a role in a movie." So this is she, she's like a million yeah. Tony West
6: Curtis was still a pretty big name too, but yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, no, I, I, like- didn't.
5: no matter what, no matter, no matter what, she still would have been. She could know, have leaned
6: um, into it. She could have used those connections. Agreed, hundred percent. Yeah, well, I think it's like nicholas point, Cage, who's a cult.
5: At one point, Thank Tony you. Curtis was just gonna hand, like, hand her a movie role. At least in this case, she had to audition for it. And there were multiple people up for it. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of her point, but.
3: Obviously I'm 61 years old now and I've done a few things. So I'm 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 feeling pretty solid on my feet. And I don't feel like somebody could push me off of my ownership of who I am and what I've tried to do as a human being and as an actor, an artist, etc. cetera. But I know that there were two young women who were the final two choices for um, the movie. I, I know who the other actress is, I'll obviously never say so because that would be a terrible thing to do. But given that John and Deborah were such fans of Psycho, Loomis named after Loomis, Marion named after Marion, to have Janet Lee's daughter, as one of the two, obviously it tipped it my way. I'm self-realized enough to understand. Someone would have thought, well, you know, once the movie gets made and we have to go out and sell it, having Janet Lee's daughter playing Laurie Strode will help us a little bit, a little bit, a little curiosity value, maybe a little publicity. So I want to acknowledge it. But as we looked at the scene together, when they were yelling rolling that at evening in West Hollywood, in that moment, I don't give a fuck who your parents are. You have to just be in the moment. So it was the methodology of the shooting. I think uh, however many people are in this room right now shooting this, we had that many people on the entire crew. It was a small group of guerrilla filmmakers, two trucks and a Winnebago that had every department. We just drove around the city and, and made this movie. There was something incredibly freeing and fun being with really basically young people and everyone kind of working together to make this movie. There was nothing fancy about it on any level. I've certainly missed that and have tried to find that again in my later life. It's been hard to find. When I got Halloween, the the first thought in my mind wasn't like, ooh, my mother was in Psycho and I'm going to be in this horror film. I was so thrilled to get a job where the word Lori was on every page of the script, literally. The last thing I thought about was that, oh, my mother was famous for that.
9: To be fair, Jamie Lee also wasn't thinking about Psycho because she'd never seen it. She'd want to see her mom die. Also, she just hates horror movies. She seriously hates them. Like, to the point that when she went to go see Silence of the Lambs, she brought a paper listing all the scenes where a friend warned her in advance she should close her eyes. But Psycho had been a part of her life anyway. I mean, for a while, her mom got so many fan letters from obsessive people that the FBI had to investigate. And after Psycho, Janet Lee never showered again. So when Jamie Lee was little, she only took baths too.
6: To be fair, baths are awesome. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, I, also, I, yeah, I kept yeah. that in there because of our because uh, we watched that clip of Janet Lee last week where she was like, "Oh, I never showered again." So I thought that was a cool follow up to it to our conversation. Absolutely. Pop quiz: What movie? Go on. I'm sorry.
6: I was going to say it's a callback to the classic episode that happened last week of, of psycho. And what, what I was going to say a little bit earlier was that I kind of feel like Andrew, your take on is sort of like castigating somebody coming into the record store for not listening to the entire nuggets compilation. When you talk about these obscure horror movies, because like, you know the slasher genre. You got like we said. We talked about in Psycho. Psycho and Ice Without a Face came out the same year. The same year, 1960. And yeah, there were other ones that came around, but I feel like Halloween is incredibly important as this entire genre. Not to mention, just a very good movie. But there would be no slasher genre without without Halloween.
1: Oh, Flat absolutely. End, at least not in the yeah, way, no, that, like, any way
6: that any way we could recognize.
5: And you can't I, say I that about that. like.
6: The, like, you know, the dusty cockroaches or whatever on the fucking Nuggets comp. Sorry, pardon my French, but.
5: Well, the the point of this, I mean, the point of this month of movies or at least the Tuesday ones is kind of to debate these points or talk out these points and um, kind of establish a, a chronology, I guess, of, of, you know, the slasher genre as a whole and um, the impacts that it's had on society culturally, which is why I think that it's cool to uh, juxtapose the 1978 Halloween and the 2018 Halloween, 40 years later, um, and and you know because number one, I think that I think that the 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 point about the Final Girl, and I have a thing on that at some point later on, but like the you know the the tropes that go into it, like you know oh, this is the Final Girl that lives through everything because they don't have sex and they don't do drugs, and which I mean obviously you know Jamie Lee Curtis breaks that rule in in Halloween, but like the the misreading of like. Um, Michael Myers as a morality tale, I guess, which wasn't the point whatsoever. And I, and I a hundred percent believe, uh, John Carpenter, when he says that wasn't the point whatsoever, you know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. not like he was trying to pick up on anything. So I I was
7: going to say in regards to that, I I remember watching Halloween in theaters a few years back, the, the 78 movie. And, uh, one of the things that stood out to me is, you know, usually you think of slasher movies like, oh, this is going to be the movie where you end up actually cheering for the villain because you hate the teenagers so much. I really did not <laughs> yeah. like, I did not dislike like Annie or um, PJ souls character in the uh, original. I mean, they're not like unlikable teenagers as you would see in most uh, slasher movies. I think With this brought Randall, this Bob up, Ramon
6: to her high school. Yes.
5: <laughs> this, uh, this brings up the, the Deborah Hill um, clip that I wanted to play next, which is um, talking about, uh, Deborah Hill, who was, you know, John Carpenter's girlfriend, um, at the time that the movie started, not by the time the movie was released, but, um, at the time the movie started and like, you know, a lifelong creative partner, I guess, um, you know, for The Fog and like several other, you know, big titles that they did together and became like a, in her own right, just a, an amazing producer. I was um, going
7: to say earlier, what I was going to say with Pop Quiz was, uh, The Fog starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee
5: together. I'm oh, I'm sorry. Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, didn't like the fog, right? Because she thought it was too close to Halloween. She was mm-hmm. like, "Oh God, I'm gonna get tight." This is my first movie or my second movie. Like, same, same directing and producing team, and it's a similar enough movie.
6: <laughs> she was pretty young at the time, so I mean, I guess it makes sense, right?
5: She was she was 19 when she was in um, Halloween, so like, it was you know, it's a it's a it's an interesting time I think to be in this. Uh, I, a buddy, because because you know her horror movie career was right at the time that the slasher boom happened. And yeah, I, I was gonna say outside of
7: Hall- the Halloween movies, I think The Fog, Prom Night, and Terror Train are her only other horror movies that she's been in.
5: But she, yeah, but like, but they were all in like a you know a quick, quick oh, yeah. session, I guess, because people kept um, you know asking her to be in these movies, and then obviously she got around to not getting typecast anymore. A weird story that I that they talked about on uh, that Halloween and the Mask podcast is I guess that like they had leaked like a bikini picture or something of her. And then all of a sudden she stopped being like the final girl and like her phone started ringing for like dramas. And they're like, you know, we really think she could be a dramatic actress. We've seen those bikini pictures and now we really think her dramatic <laughs> acting chops.
6: <laughs> oh, they gave us a real big boner. We'll give you the part now.
7: <laughs> what What was the joke they had in Scream? Where uh, I think it's Jamie Kennedy's character is like she stopped being the finer girl after she showed her breasts in Trading Places.
5: <laughs> I um I have I have the scream uh, the rules as one of the clips that, um, <laughs> but so this is this is the Deborah Hill one. Um, and Karthik kind of was going to take I think a more like a feminist reading, or you know, um, kind of break down the the feminist um aspects of both movies. I think. And because I you know, each first like each everybody I kinda asked about different um different I guess aspects they wanted to focus on. So I'll I'll throw it to Karthik after this clip to you know comment on it.
0: Today Deborah Hill is a player, one of the busiest producers in LA, but she remembers Halloween.
1: What I like about horror films is the fact that they really get you to react. For me, the films were a way to kind of leap from reality into some sort of great fantasy. One of my first jobs was a script supervisor uh, working on a movie called Goodbye Norma Jean. And then I met John Carpenter when he directed Assault on Precinct 13. And I was his script supervisor and assistant editor. And then we decided to collaborate on Halloween. Erwin Yablons actually came up with the idea of setting it in Halloween. And we were searching for a story you know what could the story be and and because we were very limited in fact they wanted babysitters so and I'd been a babysitter and I had all these great stories. Um, but when he called and came up with a brilliant idea of using the themes of Halloween to tell our story, uh, it was like a, a gold mine we went to a list of scares you know like imagine if you know you're in bed with your boyfriend and he goes down to get some water or a coke or something and comes back with a sheet trying to pretend he's a ghost but it's not him it's all these kinds of things that we wrote down all these scares and then we decided to weave the scares into the story
0: basically it was a complete 50 50 collaboration
1: I wrote the first draft laying in the kids, the teenagers, the teenage talk, the girl talk amongst each other. And John came back with a pass for the Sam Loomis character, which was played by Donald Pleasence. So all the stuff about evil and everything is really John's. The first thing the crew had to
9: do was to get over the idea that John's girlfriend was their producer. And as Tommy explains...
0: If you didn't know Deborah or you didn't know anything about the show... You would have said, Oh man, nepotism out the wazoo. This is going to be a disaster. The only thing was, Deborah knew exactly how to produce a movie. She was forceful. She was visionary. She was unafraid. She was courageous uh, and tremendously energetic. Deborah was a powerhouse. She was tremendous. Every movie needs a Deborah.
9: I bring up Deborah a lot because it's important to me that we shift away from thinking of Halloween as strictly a John Carpenter movie. Deborah wrote the most important dialogue in the script. She wrote pretty much all of the lines for Laurie Strode and Annie the smart Alec and Linda the pigtailed cheerleader. Deborah is why Laurie Strode and her friends feel real. Which means Deborah is why Halloween feels
3: real. She was instrumental in creating Lori and the girls, just the whole vibe of the girls, the way the girls talked. Even Linda's catchphrase.
4: Totally. Totally.
9: <sighs>
3: but Deborah hung out with Jamie Lee a lot. Deborah Hill and I became very close girlfriends. Um, I was 19, she was 30, and um, separate from being a producer and an actress.
9: Deborah was actually even younger than that. She was only 27.
3: You know my my
8: kind of like uh, I would say I don't, I don't even know if it would be a feminist reading. Um, it's it's more like an interest in the in the aspect of babysitters being the main um, like characters uh, in the story aside from um, the kind of faceless guy, uh, which is that like you know he grows up without the shape. <clears throat> the shape. <laughs> <laughs> he he grows up without uh, parental you know supervision or like they're they're not around they're asleep at the wheel or like they're basically busy uh, going into the city and uh, hustling or whatever. Um, And then there's uh, also like the growing up raised by the television kind of upbringing that uh, the kid has. So the whole uh, concept of the babysitter as somebody who's supposed to be the adult in the room, but is actually not an adult and is supposed to step in to play an adult uh, role uh, when the mother is absent and i feel like that's kind of the dichotomy um, th- that i noticed which is that like th- there's a tension between uh wanting the babysitter to be like the mom and the frustration that comes from someone a who is uh you know uh, sexually frustrated it seems like um the-, the serial killer which is like i actually have uh, some thoughts on the idea of a serial killer itself uh coming up at this time um but um it's it's kind of like someone you know who's who's sexually frustrated who's expecting the babysitter to be like the mother kind of like be the nurturing character except like they have their own plans you know like they have they have their own lives which is also speaking to the whole idea of like the feminist movement and like you know women having the an agenda of their own etc and like the dudes being like frustrated here um like you know because uh he's not able to get her uh you know interested in him or whatever um and he has to literally stab her in order to get through uh which is extremely violent uh in in so many ways uh the the stabbing itself like kind of almost um in in a worse sort of way uh even includes a a, a quantum of like assault uh like like sexual assault involved in it uh it's not purely like a physical assault of stabbing that he is inflicting on these women um as an adult um, and that's something that seems, like, pretty uh, revealing uh, of, of, like, what seems to be the consequence of, like, a established dichotomy between, like, this angel-like mother figure who is actually not there absent um, and, and who's not able to be replaced by this uh, demonic uh, pot-smoking, rock-and-roll-listening, you know, um, bell-bottom jeans-wearing, like...
5: Um, no bottom jeans look at you every time <clears throat> yeah
4: well, the first,
5: the, his first victim is his sister right like his um judith in- yeah so his first victim is the sister that's supposed to be watching over him mm, i thought
8: he, i thought she was a babysitter sorry i can well, she's
5: she is technically babysitting him i mean you know like but mm. I, I the first the first victim is the sister and then from there he kind of starts targeting babysitters which is an interesting thing to your point right like because it goes from the mother, like the mother herself, whatever, you know, whatever happened there to the sister, to you know, women who are filling the same role, I think, as the sister was filling, um, you know, in the situation. Where or failing he, to fulfill that, which is the point. Yeah. Right?
8: Like he's repeating the pattern of constantly being underwhelmed by like um, these these women who are not living up to the expectation of like mom.
5: Yeah, it's and like it's cool. the one. It's the one truly, I think, voyeuristic shot um, of of a woman's body in, in, in the movie like in the sense of like when you see and from a the, child's
8: perspective, which yeah. is very disturbing, yeah.
5: Um like when you see the um when when you see the the you know people having sex in the original Halloween like it, it's kind of it's placed there in a non voyeuristic way. Like you know what I mean? Like you're not it's like it's not zooming in on them. You're not like forcibly kind of watching them the same way you would be in other uh you know later um slasher movies. You're kind of but the one the one shot that does seem somewhat voyeuristic is the two holes in the sheet or whatever yeah. like the, in the mat. When he comes in the first time with his sister. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think to
6: be clear, he definitely has sunglasses on.
4: And like, that's <laughs> I think it's
6: very notable, not the least of which is because it's it's sort of like, hey, check it out, baby. Oh, you know, it like mm-hmm. and it's kind of like shows like a low key amount of like psychological insight into what he's doing. Right. Which is that like maybe he's getting something out of the, not just the killing itself, but in like the nature of how the uh refrandals getting killed. I can't remember. What's her name? Uh Cole.
8: <laughs>
6: She's always refrandled to me. God damn it.
8: <laughs> well, and I thought you'd, you'd appreciate this, which is like, I, I always uh, used to think um, that this, this Mike Myers character, even before, like I actually knew uh this character's name, I knew uh, him as like in this movie. Um I always thought that he reminded me of Ryan Adams. Uh, just the way that he looked, and like just, just like a kind of vibe that I got, which is like a very, like it's something disturbing, but also kind of like sad and um, like yeah, lonely. Like you, you almost felt like, man, I feel like this this dude is like just crying in his yeah. uh, game self to sleep at he night. Give him a
6: guitar and have him write some sad songs.
8: Yeah, that's
5: yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> you cover some Taylor Swift the original the
5: original halloween a... um rock and roll high school uh connection maybe want maybe wish that we had joseph mcbride on um for this for this episode i think it would would have been hilarious um it's like cuz we asked him about rock and roll high school at the end of uh at the end of our interview with him <laughs> or andy did yes well so, yeah so i thought that, i don't know after the fact i was like damn we should have invited him <laughs>
7: mcbride also has another connection to this because uh he actually ended up writing an early draft of one of the horror movies that came right after this that Jamie Lee Curtis was in. He wrote an early draft of Prom Night. So wow. he has all kinds of weird connections to these things.
6: So PJ Souls, I, and of course, I'm I'm joking when I keep calling her Riff Randall because I think Rock and Roll High School is a great American movie and, and a perfect icon of ridiculousness in a certain type of Roger Corman-style filmmaking. But it's PJ Souls. And I think it's interesting that she plays at least the voice of one of the teachers in the 2018 one which is a good, like, kind of callback
5: for the, uh, yeah. For the well, I, and, and something that they really went for, I think in the, if you like talk, like, if you not talk to, if you look, if you watch the interviews with, um, them talking like, uh, to interviewers and stuff, there's a, there's a lot of, at the end of the Jamie Lee Curtis thing, she says, oh, I haven't been able to find that like vibe of like, you know, people just kind of hanging out and, and loosely doing a movie. Um, when she does the 2018 one, she says that, you know, the fact that everybody kind of working on it, Danny McBride, which is hilarious that he's one of the people working on it, but, um, you know, like, like, Bloomhouse, like, all, like, they're all kind of just buddies that, like, are making this movie together, and, I mean, you know, props to them for doing non-toxic, non-toxic masculinity uh, <laughs> bro, bro uh, horror movie writing, but, no, but, like, you know, she's like, but Jamie Lee Curtis says something about how, um, in one of the clips, I'm not sure which one it is, so I don't, I, I can't pull it up, but she says something about how she finally did find that same energy again because, um, you know, once again, it's kind of this like more casual uh, back and forth between the directors and the writers and her, like, you know, as someone who's kind of interpreting their own character, because John Carpenter is a director that doesn't really care that much. I think about why, like he leaves it up to the actors to decide why their character is doing something or their motivations. You know what I mean? John Carpenter is just kind of, um, he trusts the actor and then, Like, at least this is what he explains about his own directorial process. I mean, who knows how accurate anybody really is. But, like, you know, he leaves it up to the actor to decide why they're doing something, to decide the backstory, and kind of just gives them physical directions. So it's an interesting um, collaborative process, I think.
6: Well, I think we touched on an important thing about the original Halloween, too, is that we're not rooting for the killer. You know, we're we're sort of like, why have all these, like, you know, just well-rounded, like normal people who we're somewhat invested in the lives of like they're being harried by this 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 force from outside that is murdering them and you have to understand that like we're looking at this with like decades and decades of like almost cynicism and um irony and references and and so on and so on but one of the things that I think made that the 2018 Halloween pretty good is that like it built stakes in the actual like people that are getting killed instead of being like, Oh, what's the kill count? Where's the kill counter at? You know, how much blood was spilled, so on and so on. When
5: no one's having sex, you got plenty of time though.
7: <laughs> what I was gonna say in that regard, I mean, uh I was glad that this was a return for Jamie Lee Curtis because I, I still have you know, bad dreams about the first time I saw Halloween H2O, aka yeah. Halloween Dawson's Creek. And I for me, this was like, uh, I, I thought Halloween 2018 was a much more enjoyable experience.
5: Well, each, each I, sequel I, I, kind of, I mean, if things are like focusing on different parts of it, there are parts that definitely, I think aren't really, like, I think there's an over analytic, an over analytic um, frame that goes into making these because of Friday the 13th, because of, you know, all these movies I mean, came that came out after it. Well, then it becomes super all-
6: referential, and there's nothing wrong with really that. Funny. I love Final Girls. That that was a great movie, but if I, it's super referential, like then like that's a different yeah. kind of thing. One of the things that I, I'm just, I guess, I'm just gonna sneak this point in now. One of the things I love about Halloween is that like it established all these tropes. Like it's a groundbreaking film. Like the blink style of editing where you see Michael and like Michael's there, mm. and you see him in the walk, and then like, hey, did you? And then like he's gone. Mm. Like how often do we see that? Not even just in horror movies, but think of like like the uh, Batman. Christian Bale Batman movies or something yeah. along those lines, right? Like huge mainstream things that it's a cheap camera trick, but it's, it creates mystery and suspense. And a lot of the problem I have with a lot of modern horror is they forget about the suspense. So film to go over the gore and not go over the suspense. Think about like the, nobody doesn't Batman.
5: forget about the suspense. Our old pal, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> exactly.
6: And it's, it's very
2: Hitchcockian in its way. Hitchcockian,
5: yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. No, no, Hitchcockian is the correct.
4: Yeah, exactly. it yeah, okay.
5: which, yeah.
2: Is why, which is why in uh, the second Halloween movie uh, they, they, her dad said that he got peanut butter on his Hitchcockian.
4: <laughs> I, I that was was gonna... a weird, that's a weird
2: <laughs> fucking line, by the way. <laughs> I know, that just bothered me when he said that. I was like, okay, For I sure. got to make reference to that at some point. Oh, man.
7: <laughs> I, I was going to add really quick, too. What, what's so interesting to me about uh, the tropes that Sort of get put in place after Halloween and especially after Friday the 13th, uh, Friday the 13th is uh, the, the deconstructions of the genre actually start happening very, very early in the 80s. I think yeah. the first one to do it was um, the Roger Corman produced uh, Slumber Party Massacre, which minor movie, but uh, was written and directed by two feminist women. And uh, it's a complete sort of um satire slash deconstruction of the sort of slasher genre and that's in 1982 so it's interesting how quickly uh people started deconstructing the genre and sort of doing meta commentaries on the genre even you know four years after halloween
5: well it's a i mean it's a thin it's a very thin genre yeah i mean it became a thin genre let's be clear it didn't yeah. start that way well it, it didn't start really thin. it didn't start as a genre at all you know what i mean like halloween <laughs> no but i mean like so halloween's not i don't i don't think halloween's trying to do anything you know what i mean like i don't think that movie is is trying to come into this situation with pretensions and uh, there's a the final girl one that i was going to play at some point um clip or whatever they're talking about that and they break it down like this, it wasn't a movie coming with any kind of uh moral compass actually the opposite it, it was just supposed to be terrifying right. because like you could just be a normal teenage girl babysitting and wanting to have sex with your like high school boyfriend or whatever, then all of a sudden you get murdered. There's no it, By it, a six year old
8: child that, that <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, that's, that's that's
4: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
5: So, so parents
8: don't leave your boy at home. Like with that with the, with the babysitter, <laughs> he's gonna kill him. Like and
5: especially not with any Jordan Peterson books or no twelve <laughs> more rules.
8: That, that's
7: that's a really interesting point though that you bring up for us because uh If you, if you ever,
5: no, no, not the, so I was you just can't can't go around murdering people. And I, I'm just afraid that if we don't have, if we don't clean our rooms right now, then, then, you know, maybe, maybe people are going to just turn around and they're going to murder each other. And, and, you know, we, we just can't stop it. So that's why everybody needs to be assigned a wife. You
7: you don't sound Kermit the frog enough though, to, to pull off the Peter's in there.
5: Just add a little bit more Kermit the frog in there. (laughs) I used to to this Kermit the frog like this or... Like this Kermit the Frog toy when I was a kid. And every time it said anything, it would go, hi-ho. And now I just think of like Pimp Kermit the Frog. (laughs) (laughs) I I just wanted to add something
7: real quick. Go ahead. ahead. Uh, What what I was going to say is uh, with regards to uh, the slasher genre and everything Halloween did, I I feel as if, uh, you know, when you talk to a lot of the directors that did some of the original movies that are considered slashers, like if you talk to Sean Cunningham, who did uh, Friday the 13th, they'll say, I never really intended it for for it to be a a morality till about Mm -hmm. sex. That that wasn't, I didn't think about that while making the film. And also uh, uh, Jeff Lieberman, just before dawn, he made a a sort of a reverse deliverance type movie that sort of has a feminist vibe to it. But if you ask him, Oh, is it a slasher movie? He'll say, no, we didn't even call it slashers back then. No one knew what that was. It's sort of a retroactive term in a lot of ways.
5: Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, Halloween's not a slasher movie. Like, no, never in the movie do they say, "Hey, Michael Myers is coming, and he's going to be a slasher." In fact, they don't really even they. You know, I mean, Loomis uses the word Michael, and like, you know, but it's not like over. Like, he's just the shape. Like everybody who's involved in the movie, the cast and the crew, just calls him the shape because he doesn't say anything. He heavy breathes. Mm. I, mean, I
7: always him called him, him the, the guy way. in the William Shatner mask. <laughs> William
5: Shatner is also someone who comes to mind. Yeah, that's true. Damn. So what? Well, and and we, literally, he's literally in a William Shatner mask. What mask is. is William Shatner wearing, though? No, he's literally in a mask of William Shatner. You no, know, I'm just
2: yeah. No, no. He called what? up. There's they a... called up William Shatner before the filming the movie. Says, "Can we borrow your mask?" And William Shatner said yes. And that's how that's happened.
5: Interestingly, it's actually from a movie where they made a mask cast of William Shatner's face, and he hmm. had to wear a William Shatner face. It's not from Star Trek. It's from a movie that he made like during that time where they made a, a casting of his face so he could rip off a face of his own face. And then at the, at, like after that, they sold it as a mask to be like a Star Trek mask, I guess. That's oh. why it was
6: kind of distended as opposed to, you know, it wasn't like a William Shatner as he is now. We're like, let's be honest. He's <laughs> um, but if I, if I can, real quick, we're just, we're, we're all over the place here. But there's a few things. First of all, I learned tonight that a friend of mine in a band, his dad wrote the first Friday the 13th. And I don't know how you like if that's your dad. I don't know how you don't lead with that for the, your entire life. But I had no idea. I learned that tonight. And uh, that kind of backs up like, the you know, the point of like, you know, it wasn't like there was even a genre called like slasher movies or something along those lines, which comes back to the establishment of tropes. Like think of stoners. Think of like these kinds of movies and how we view Stoner. Oh, they're smoking the pot. Up, 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 up. Right. This is like one of the first movies to really do that, and that became a trope because of Halloween, and then that gradually became like an archetype, and that became a cliche almost. But then well, there's also I want some-
5: to I, I want to argue the fact that I don't think that that was intentional either. Like I think that it no, just of course you know, not. People, brain, like, people brainstorming. What do teenagers do? Teenagers, you know, they would be in a car smoking pot listening to don't fear the reaper wanting more cowbell they go to their cowbell dealer he gives them a little more cowbell and then they're (laughs) off i
6: i I gotta be clear i don't think i think it's exactly the opposite of like being intentional i think it's just they were trying to portray kids being kids and of course like around that time period i think oh hey you know no parents around like we're hanging out let's smoke some let's smoke some pot okay and that that is a thing but then also like other other tropes that it accidentally sort of created, right? Like one yeah. of the creepiest things to me about the movie is that when Laurie is like running from like running the house to house, trying to get help, and like the one neighbor like turns off the lights and like closes. Oh yeah, no, that's
5: it's fucked up, terrifying, <laughs> Terri- that's almost more
6: terrifying than you got a killer running after you. Like like this. Fucking asshole over here, who, like runs his lawnmower at eight AM. Isn't gonna let me in when there's a killer after me. Well, that's kind of. That's
5: kind <laughs> oh, of. Well,
7: they, they, they think it's a Halloween prank. Maybe.
5: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. There's all kinds of it's reasons. Just the kids. No, it's kids. It's just kids doing stuff. It's just you kids, know, kids doing stuff. Pranks. But Same. I think one of the
6: most important ones, and since we invoked Friday the Thirteenth a few times, and this is the last thing I'm gonna say on it, is that like this is one of the first movies to start the the end, or is it? All Which right. I like to call. No monster is truly dead until it explodes.
5: Which, why? I mean, but also, if you know, if you do have the op- opportunity to just make a quick cash grab, which really is what Friday the 13th is, or not Friday the 13th, What really is what Halloween is originally for John Carpenter, right? Like, he sees it as a stepping stone. He doesn't see himself at this point, like you have to understand, as like the master of horror, or like, you know what I mean, a horror director. He actually wanted to be a Western director, um, a dying breed at this point, because number one, uh, He is a, he's a leftist. So it's not like he's, which his car literally had a John Wayne sticker on the back of it. But like, ironically, I think, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like John Carpenter is some like big, like right wing, like, like, oh, let's like, you know what I mean? Like every movie he's ever done is kind of at least somewhat subversive. Like, um, maybe not. I mean,
8: even the cop in this, in this movie, like, uh, actually speaks about somebody smoking pot in a very chill way. Like yeah. the, the <laughs> cop is like, yeah, yeah, kids. That's what they do. They smoke. They smoke pot. What do you do? You know, well, and like the like,
6: Killdozer song. The pig was cool.
5: <laughs> it's it's suburbia, though, right? Like, like a, a thing that they've said before about um, lore characters. Like she's never experienced anything bad until this point, really. Like not anything horrifying, anyway. That's why mm-hmm. the trauma in the in the latest one, which John Carpenter helped, you know, create, is is so amassing her because it's not like she's kind of you know a rough and tumble kid that finds her friend murdered, she's literally just like an innocent babysitter that's probably, that's never seen a dead body. You know what I mean? Like never experienced anything actually traumatic that all of a sudden they find five of their dead friends in a room, which I, I think, you know, it's the suburbia point, right? Oh like God. the, the but, but also like it's the suburbia point of like suburbia is supposed to be somewhere safe. And it's an amazing location for horror for that reason. Like it's all very white people upper middle class or middle class people living in very depersonalized housing situations, right. these perfectly manicured, manicured lawns. And in, in the minds of a lot of people, you know, that's what they're aspiring to be. But it's also ripe for horror because somebody walking through a suburban neighborhood, just killing people. Those, that's where you leave your doors open or your door unlocked. You know what I mean? Like that's where you, that's where you leave the windows. Not Laurie's neighbors, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
8: I mean you can you can even like think of see c- the serial killer itself in the in the most recent iteration uh which is not like a you know Jack the Ripper figure I, I, like it's it's a person who uh, is is like cold-blooded completely like detached and removed from their surroundings and it's like I was thinking about how the serial killer itself is kind of like a very interesting neoliberal archetype of a person without a personality uh someone who just like takes the shape of the vessel and just like kills it at the end and that's kind of how uh which is kind of similar um to how only like, uh, the cannibal, uh, only like uh, eats people uh only the cannibal... ted cruz
5: is the zodiac killer sorry i, I said only because ted cruz is the zodiac killer
6: i mean that's just a fact it. we all know that that's
5: right
8: so, so it's like it's, it's it's interesting how like the the serial killer is kind of like almost a, a, an, a, an archetype of individualism um w- where basically ki- it's it's essentially revealing itself to be a kid left alone and that's why I feel like it's in it. It's also kind of cool that it's, it's not
5: really, It's Macaulay Culkin. You know, it's the Home Alone for Home Alone
8: kid, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
5: mean,
8: it's the '60s version of the Home Alone kid. It's it's Rosemary's <laughs> Baby. It's not Home Alone, so it's like. Uh, but 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 at the same time, it's 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 kind of uh, also uh, an important, I think, like thing to pay attention to uh, because the horror of, uh, uh so to say, I, I guess like you could call it the American Dream or the the, the middle the creation of the middle class. Um, is essentially the fact that it would be some kind of finality and it would not really, it would lead to like a, a degradation of society of some sort, or like uh, it, it, you would plateau out in your life and you would have nothing of interest happening to you to the extent that there is no plot. Again, like we're talking about, you know, we had this uh, chat about uh, the birds, how there was no plot other than the killer. Uh, and it's kind of similar, right? Like it's just a bunch of people hanging out and talking about smoking pot and like, you know, having sex and uh, whatnot. Uh, but he is the one who actually brings the plot into the story uh, into the picture uh without him there is no plot and that's kind of also fascinating maybe how a serial killer also thinks like that they make their own story um and and make other people pawns in it
5: yeah well the other thing is that you know we want we want things to happen for shout out to Ben Burgess a little bit of logic we want a logic to why someone's killing something someone we want rationality we want some kind of narrative that explains to us like this is why this is happening and the way that the sequels kind of i think uh, at least in the minds of um like danny mcbride and everyone who wrote the 2018 one the sequels gave it a logic because all of a sudden like oh well the, you know it, there's the plot twist and it's the sister like all this different stuff like but there is no logic to it like the the 2018 one is going back to the exact basic uh form that John Carpenter wanted to take, which is the fact that they're like, it's, it's literally terrorism for them. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's no logic to it. There's no, there's no rationale. It's yeah. It's like, based in reality.
6: Buster Rhymes, spin kicking someone outside a window. There aren't any fucking druids involved. Like it's, it's re it's real. Like, yeah. It could happen next door down. the street.
2: But it's not real in this and the, in the sequel remake, uh, 2018 version. Cause like, um, if it was real, like, like people would have like financial stress because you can't, you know,
4: <laughs>
2: like, like, like the, the whole town seems to have been like <laughs> trapped in like this weird bubble where there's no outside forces, you know, giving it any problems. And if it had like a little bit of uh, capitalist realism sprinkled in it, to it, um, that would have actually, um, you know, created like, like, oh, um, Laurie Strode's daughter did really well for herself becoming a psychologist. And, and, and is making bank and everybody's kind of jealous of her and, and, like, and, her, like, husband, and her, her husband not...
5: got peanut butter on his penis.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> could it... but, but I... like, like there's nothing to, to kind of, um, uh, to discuss like, like the current, uh, c- c- cause you know, yeah, in the seventies, there was a bit of a malaise and the, uh, uh, you know, the whole, um, uh, was a stagflation. Um, but like we, we're, we're 40 years into, um, fricking, uh, Reaganomics. So, you know, where where was that in the in this movie? Oh I mean, yeah, but but is, it, but is it incumbent on the movie to show that? I mean,
6: I get, you know, like, I mean, it makes it relatable it's okay about a dude killing people wanna, too, dude. I mean, like, I get it, but like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, wanna, the, the old Halloween
8: seems to show it though. Like, the old Halloween seems to show the the kind of almost zombified generation sitting in front of a TV. Um, if, if on the one hand, like the, the, the girls, the babysitters are chatting on the phone with each other to the extent that they don't even see a person intruder intruding the, uh, like entering the house, uh, the kids are basically, they can't even hear what the babysitters, when the babysitter yells out to her, um, or the, or even the boy, uh, I guess the boy is a little more vigilant because he's got his little like taekwondo outfit or whatever, like, um, the karate outfit, um, on, um, and, and that's also fascinating because it, it kind of shows this, um, you know, dimension of like kids um, having extracurricular interests, but also at the same time having to be trapped in the house and whatnot. And also kind of fascinating, I thought uh, that like um, Mike Myers is institutionalized for 15 years, which is, I guess, like about as much time as it's going to take for you to go through high school, like go through K through 12. Um, and, and, it's, and it's probably, you know, like that's like the... I mean, the Pink Floyd song comes to mind, and um, and of course, like you know, John Carpenter also made "Children of the." What's the What's the name of the movie? Like "Children of the Corner "Children of the Corner, "Dawn of the Dead" might be confusing. Didn't the, Dawn
5: definitely didn't. Make of, Dawn the of the, the Damned, Damned
8: is the one he did. of the, Damned. the <laughs> Damned.
4: That's
5: because uh, he showed <laughs> <of> <Eastern laughs> and the Damned. But they're all great movies. Third one, third one. Third third one. Is. Is. Well, I was hey, going to bring up. I was going to bring up our our friday conversation that we're going to have about um dawn of the dead for a very similar reason yeah, because what a great that's a segue very, that's a, a very a very different form of a very like a similar idea about consumerism and the literal zombification of course a little bit too on the nose i think but you know like of of the american consumer of the american suburban uh middle class upper class kind of person who literally get turned to a zombie and goes back to the mall because they're like I, I'm where, Like, where else am I going to fucking go?
7: I, I was going to, real quick, it. if I could, uh, Forrest, and I wanted to get your take on this or everyone's take. Uh, it's interesting. You're pointing out that the original Halloween is a very suburban sort of setting, and you can imagine these people sort of being like um, upper middle class or, you know, middle class. But it's interesting a lot of, in the a lot sequel.
5: Of Nixon voters. W- yeah, yeah. Existed,
7: but, yeah.
4: What,
7: what's, what's interesting <laughs> is, so 10 years later when you get Halloween 4, uh, they actually start portraying Haddonfield as like a rundown, like redneck or, you know, hick sort of town. And that actually, I think, carries on even in, you see elements of that in the 2018 movie, like you, you almost get the impression that they're in the boonies. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting how the setting of Halloween and Haddonfield itself has sort of changed over the years.
5: They also make sure to uh, that you understand that there's it's not just a white neighborhood anymore, right? Like the, the kid that's getting babysitted sat by Vicky is, you know, is a black kid. Like they're, they're making sure that, you know, that this is a, a different kind of um, uh, time period where it's not just kind of like, I don't like, I can't think of a, a black character whatsoever in the original Halloween. I, I think that that reinforces the, the fact that, you know, this is supposed to be like a safe uh, middle-class suburban white neighborhood. That's no longer safe suburban, you know what I mean? Like, so I think that, that it makes sense for the, the background of that horror movie. But I, it is interesting that they make sure to show you like a, a far more diverse Haddonfield. I mean,
6: uh, right but that now kid it's is the, like one of the coolest characters. That kid's
8: awesome. Oh,
5: I, that kid's that kid was like <laughs> the best character that wasn't the in best their, part of the like, movie. Media yeah, media the
4: Michael himself. Family. Yeah,
8: it it is the time of uh, you know like the the, the kind of minority uh, characters like getting to live the the sort of so to say picket fence, um, at least the gentrified, uh, the the ones who are able to at least like striving. Uh, or uh, able to live the, the quote-unquote uh, American dream, the, the, the scanty
4: few who
5: were able to do which, it. Which isn't untrue, but is often provided without the conflict that actually does go with that, which kind of does happen at the time of the original, um, like around the time of the original Halloween, where, you know, Nixon's Nixon's election and like a, a lot of the stuff that comes after that is kind of a direct response to like, this uh, NIMBY attitude in those right. urban neighborhoods, like not in my back, like, you know what I mean? Like, not wanting black families to move in, not wanting uh, minority families to move in of any kind. Bustling. Like, yeah. So,
7: someone should make a, a deep fake of Halloween where they replace the Michael Myers mask with Nixon's face.
5: <laughs> I, I feel like I mentioned, I feel like I had a weird, oh, maybe it was, I was listening to that podcast and they said, oh, yeah, I was listening to that podcast. Maybe, maybe I don't actually talk to anyone in real life. That um, they somebody said something about a Nixon because I was thinking about a Nixon mask and then they were like oh if there was a Nixon mask like you'd always remember that it was Nixon that you know what I mean like so then it would feel like a political movie
6: yeah it's almost better that it's just like this sort of like the mask is kind of so amorphous and non identifiable that it became an icon in and of
8: itself like that's how right. I think
5: that way just far. like William Shatner it's baby faced <laughs>
8: I feel like and I mean that's why I think it's it's kind of it's it's Piper. it's it's almost innocent. In a way, you kind of feel sorry for the guy, uh, looking at it because it it feels like he's uh, he's trying to be. On the one hand, it's it's cold blooded and it's like you know um, sociopathic, um, completely drawing a blank uh, on the on the outside, not expressing anything. But on the other hand, there's there's also like this very clear like baby facedness uh, of a character who probably remains the age that uh, that he was when he you know committed the first horrific act. And it's and it's kind of like almost uh, a tragic uh, tale because like it it's almost like showing the American uh, dream as like a tragedy almost because it's like saying that you have you have no choice but to have your um like a little kids a uh, little boy especially go down this route of like becoming uh, his own worst nightmare and like everybody else's worst nightmare or something like that. It's.
5: I mean, I I think that reading too much into it politically, though. <laughs> Isn't, isn't always the best I, idea because, like, the, the central point of what John Carpenter, at least in the original, was trying to do is just scare the shit out of you. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like He was trying to take something that seems safe and scare the shit out of you. I His later work, obviously, his, like, the leftist influences, I think, creeps in a lot more, and he's an amazing, subversive director. But just specifically for this movie, what he's trying to do is just make this movie as terrifying as possible. Mm-hmm. And, um... I wanted to enter this into the record, I guess. This is the, the trope um, thing from the Halloween Unmasked mm-hmm. that they talked to Jamie Lee Curtis about what they were actually trying to do with the tropes because I think it's kind of enlightening to, to, to hear this.
9: What's the difference? Well, scream queens are all great horror actresses. Final girls are a smaller subgroup, like distinguishing between all birds and flamingos. Final girls exist only in slasher films, and the number one thing that makes them special is that they live at least until the sequel. What makes Final Girls so safe? Well, they follow the slasher rules. I'll let Randy, the slasher film expert from the movie Scream, that 90s meta film that hyper analyzed all things horror, break down the three commandments, which he's doing right now as Halloween plays in the background.
4: There
6: are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one you can never have sex. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Big
6: no, no, big no. I'm a Sex equals yes. death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs.
4: <laughs> no, the
6: sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right
4: back. Oh.
9: Still, Laurie Strode set the mold and after her slasher films copied this idea of having a sole innocent girl who survives the horrors that kill off all of her friends. But even without the leering camera work, there is a pattern. Buckle in, because here is where we need to talk about sex and scream queens and final girls and how right after the liberated 60s and 70s, Halloween accidentally screwed up teen girls for a generation. First, the facts. Michael's sister Judith has sex and gets murdered. Linda has sex and she gets strangled with a phone cord. Annie is about to drive off and have sex, and she gets stabbed in the car. Lori, our final girl, does not have sex, and she lives. Like Scream says, sex is death. When Halloween became a huge hit, copycats like Friday the 13th repeated what they thought Halloween script was saying, don't have sex or you'll die, like it had deliberately written these slasher rules. Even though Halloween didn't have any rules, and it didn't even want rules, because John's whole point was that bad stuff happens just because.
3: Nobody had a clue that there would be People who are interested in a darker understanding of none of it. It didn't exist. It's fun to intellectualize it. And I'm sure there are feminist classes at Oberlin College where they discuss why the virgin survives and the promiscuous girl doesn't. But there are
9: huge problems with this final girl rule, which is why it's important to go back to its Halloween beginnings and be very clear that it was an accident.
3: There is no deeper meaning to that the promiscuous girl gets killed and the virgin uh, survives. You know what? I was a virgin at 17 in high school. A lot of girls are virgins, 17 in high school.
9: When Jamie Lee lost her virginity, she went right home and told her mom, which is a little weird. But what's normal is that even today, the majority of high schoolers, girls and boys, are virgins. But on screen, slasher films got morality, and then that morality got all warped. You know, it's very easy to look at this as a kind of puritanical, you know, the sluts will get punished. But I think that ignores what was going on at the time. You know, this was a generation who grew up with the civil rights movement and women's liberation, as it was called at the time. You know what? They're all just young women trying to figure it out, and they're trying to figure it out together. The girls aren't supposed to be divided into good versus bad. They're just three friends figuring out dating and adulthood and sex. Like this scene when Annie is teasing Lori about her crush. A scene which, by the way, Deborah Hill directed.
3: Ben Tramer. I know it! <laughs> See, do you think about things like that, huh,
4: Laurie? <laughs> Shut up. He's cute.
9: You know, that that's a really naturalised conversation between women. You know, that, that kind of almost faux hostile but still really affectionate tension that's going on in that conversation in the car is perfect. It's perfect. She should be a household name. You know, she should be up there with John Carpenter. Deborah Hill is absolutely a shining light, a patron saint.
5: Yeah, so I I think that the, you know, I I think that what the 2018 version of Halloween does is it on on some level, I think it does try to be realistic. But on the other level, it's kind of trying to erase the wrongs that, uh, you know, Oh, look who it is. Kenzo Shibata out here, ready to disrupt white suburbia.
4: (laughs) Oh,
10: yeah. Haddonfield, beware. Are
5: you going to run against Conan?
6: I was going to say, I think it's a swing district. Run against? He's
5: running (laughs) for uh, for Congress in Haddonfield.
6: (laughs) No,
10: I'm going to be the comms manager for the campaign, Conan. I'm not going to run against you. We're going to squad up, and we're going to win this shit.
6: I like it. Haddonfield today, USA tomorrow. I just know I'm in depth with my now more than ever.
10: Today your love, <laughs> tomorrow the world.
6: Exactly. Second, Ramon's reference of the night. Woo! I
5: didn't
10: even know. <laughs> this is how you roll.
5: <laughs> um. Yeah. So I I, I think that though it, it's important to realize that we're kind of in this annoyingly postmodern age where every single type of movie, every single type of media. Has to be overanalyzed, um, you know. Subversive as fuck. Like you have to realize that, like you know, these are tropes that you're that you're playing with, and then all of a sudden the tropes have to be inverted because you know, like like that kind of annoying podcaster film historian said. I mean, please come on our podcast, but you know, <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> now that I've <laughs> you, come on. We're yeah. cl- we're cloud
10: sharks here. Don't you're, matter.
6: You're, <laughs> you're negging that podcaster for yeah, us. No, <laughs> no, that,
5: right? yeah. no, but like you know, I, I found it kind of. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I find it, I found it um, a little bit annoying, which says, you know, an entire generation of girls had their psyches destroyed by Slash yeah. movies. All right, I don't think sure. film impacts people that much. That's like that article that I was reading <laughs> yesterday where that girl was like, oh, I didn't like Asian guys because I never saw Asian guys romancing on TV. Mm. And now mm. that I've seen it, I'm into it. Like. I don't know. I
10: was, yeah, I was, do you really need T I mean? I was getting laid as an Asian guy before we were on TV. Like, do I need to, do I need to put out a book?
5: <laughs> you
2: can. Talk support. to the
10: girl. Like, you know, like I don't know.
5: I just I think that I think people that well, are it's changing- it's
7: you know, Forrest, what you're bringing to mind for me is uh, you know, if you if you go back and watch like Ebert and and Cisco uh, and Ebert back in the 80s, or if you watch clips of that stuff. The big thing back then was saying slasher movies are going to destroy our entire children's generation. And, I mean, we got through just fine. So I I would agree with
5: what you're saying there, yeah. Lisboa and Ebert is an amazing bellwether, Mm -hmm. Um, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that they're an amazing, like – like film that was because I think that and his a Vincent lot of-
10: Gallo. diss is the one of the greatest disses of all time. Yeah. Did y'all know what I'm talking about?
5: I know. Yeah.
6: yeah,
4: yeah. He I'm made the, that movie,
10: the Brown bunny where he convinced Chloe Savini to give him a blowjob uh, on film in a mainstream film. Uh, that's art, the worst I guess movies of all time. Yes, absolutely. No, it's hands down. Uh, and then Ebert, uh, oh, gave it a bad review, and Vincent Gallo said, "Well, you're a fat piece of shit, or something of that nature." Oh yeah, and I was reading. He, I was reading. He said he like, had the
5: physique I'm of a slave trade.
10: Yeah, that's I'm a not, really, that. that's a super fucked up thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So then Ebert's reply was, uh, uh, "Yeah, I'm fat, but one day I'll be skinny. But you will always be the guy that made the brown bunny." <laughs> I. I read and Ebert that. will always
7: be the guy that wrote "Beyond the Valley of the Dolls," which is actually a good movie, in my opinion. Yeah. But that's just. Mm-hmm. The- yeah, I mean, I think Ebert,
8: Ebert takes the cake for me uh, for like uh, writing positive reviews of the movie Cars, like both Cars <laughs> 2 and Cars 2, uh, which I love. Like, I love that he loved Cars 2, especially, which is like a pretty fun movie. Um, but on the other hand, like, he trashed Fight Club and the usual suspects, which I love also. Uh, about yeah, uh, about the
5: Graves. No, is that too far? No, the, the, the man
6: has gives opinions for a living. You're not necessarily going to be right a hundred percent of the time, but he no, I actually dig like
8: the fact that he he trashed both Fight Club and the usual suspects because I don't like either of those movies. I mean, <laughs> well, even the man, I, had, the man I love both those movies, but I get it. I, know, I was I just
7: going to say the, la- the last thing on Roger Ebert and then I'll you know go into the background for a second, but uh, I was going to say, uh, it's interesting because his relationship, I think, to horror films changed over time, he was a big uh critic, I think, especially of those slasher movies, you know, The Nightmare on Elm Streets and all of those, but yeah. by the time Wes Craven's New Nightmare came out, he was a big fan of that movie, whereas his um, co-host, I don't know if it was Roper or if it was still Siskel at the time, he said he thought it was a great movie, it was a postmodernist sort of deconstruction of the genre, and yeah. he sort of liked the postmodern uh, approach to it, so even he warmed up to some of these movies over time.
5: Well, he, they liked Halloween, though. They, they liked yeah. Halloween. They didn't Because like, Halloween transcends the genre. That's why the mm-hmm. genre didn't exist, though. I think is the point that we were trying. But to But it make transcends
6: of- the genre while at the same point embodying the genre, which is why it's it's an incredibly this- iconic film. So,
10: and why I the like- sequels suck too, because the sequels Green. just try to be like oh for for a while there, I remember Halloween was supposed to be each chap each movie was supposed to be like a different story. That was what they originally went with. But like Michael Myers was so popular that Halloween 2 is just a straight sequel. Halloween 3 was a different movie entirely and and fun. It's garbage, but it's fun garbage. I remember Halloween Halloween 3 season of the witch rolls. It does, but it's not. I don't think it's a think of it as a Halloween
5: movie. I I remember when Halloween was just about dressing up and hoping some creepy adult in your neighborhood tries to slip some drugs into your uh, jack-o'-lantern.
4: Drugs, but not
10: razor blades. But not You have the razor blades at home to cut up the drugs. You don't need
6: them to give that to you in the candy bar. <laughs> Halloween three is no chopping mall. Thank you. <laughs>
8: oh, <laughs> I love chopping, the chopping mall. mall
10: reference made yeah. my night. I love chopping
4: mall.
8: Um. Yeah. I so- I wanted to ask a question about uh, which is like a more fundamental question, I guess. Like uh, to to even begin with, uh, why Halloween? Um. And and uh, in this in in the 1978 movie,
5: uh, there's a why How fucking not, means- bro? What? With black oh, wait, wait, wait! Christmas, then you get the Halloween. That's that's, year,
6: that's right. Danny McBride's answer, by the way. Like when someone asked him to justify why he was gonna make it right into Halloween, why the fuck not, bro?
4: Maybe it's because I watched *Tropic Thunder*
5: twice. Maybe it's because I watched *Tropic Thunder* twice last night. I'm, I'm on a Danny McBride kick.
8: <laughs> no, I, I was I was more uh, referring to the fact that um, in in the 1978 movie, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, uh, Laurie, right? Like uh, she, there's a couple of scenes where uh, she looks out and uh, she points out how uh, these kids are believing this superstition or uh, something like that. And like this this kind of almost cynical view towards superstition. Uh, and that's kind of fascinating that it's, it's juxtaposing with uh, the kind of becoming more and more nuclear family uh, neoliberalism uh, type economy, and and it's and it's like a what does that mean that like you know uh, it, an economy like that is still maintaining a superstition um, at the same time, or or like are both of them myths? On I, some I, level. I, I,
4: I,
7: I was gonna, I was just gonna say in response to that. I think one of the interesting ways one could describe the 1978 Halloween is, you know, it's essentially a movie about. Laurie Strode, she's babysitting this kid who believes in the boogeyman, and she's mm-hmm. trying to tell him the whole time the boogeyman is not real, kid. The boogeyman's not real. And then right. at the end, she realizes, oh my God, the boogeyman's real. Yeah,
5: you know, that's sort around.
7: of the core mm-hmm. of the movie. Yeah. Yeah.
5: yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember watching a movie like that when I was a kid. But anyway, um, <laughs> there was a couple of people. That harkens
6: back to the earlier point, right? That that Michael Myers is an outside force into the perf- the quote unquote yeah. perfect idyllic suburban existence, and that's what made it so terrifying to so many people because they've they've fled away from you know you know all that crime and all those bad schools and whatnot into these suburban areas, nice Joe where Biden they're session. safe, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's
7: also I, I think Michael Myers. I love that they call him the Shape, right? Because he's very different than like a Freddy Krueger or a Jason Voorhees or a Chucky. It's like all of those characters sort of have like motives. I guess Chucky just enjoys killing people. He's a sadist. I oh, was really Chucky's know. the outlier
5: in that for sure. Well, Chucky's like well, like. You, the, like,
6: Chucky,
7: you never okay, really he's know. Complex. You never know That's why Michael doesn't. Like he
5: wants that. to be a real boy. Let him be. <laughs>
7: <laughs> it's Pinocchio. But, but seriously, you don't. They never really explain in that first movie why is Michael Myers doing all this. There's like no rhyme or reason. He just sort of
5: Well that's he, I mean, and that's on yeah. purpose. And that's yeah. it's, that, it's purposeful. And and I think that I think that's I think what think that, makes it scary. Yeah. Yeah. No well that no exact a hundred percent. That's that's and that's why John Carpenter thought it was scary when like when he and his uh girlfriend that he was cheating on throughout the course of you know, making this movie, um <laughs> wrote it together. Um like like kills no, and the dog?
6: Who does that?
5: Michael Myers. That's it. No, Michael Myers. Who wait. also,
6: by the way, where did that fool get his driver's head? Because that guy's driving all over town in that first movie. I was like, where did that guy The man in, in black? This? It's explained in Halloween so, six.
8: <laughs> There's
6: no such thing as Halloween six,
8: sir. You know, like I, I one, love right? the fact that I love the fact that you pointed out um, that the outside force is, is actually the idyllic suburban. Uh, existence because like and again it's also pretty cool that you have the uh, Haddonfield next to you because like uh, it almost seems like the idyllic suburban uh, district is actually a pretty shitty hellhole that like uh, votes for the, the 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 kind of least uh, appealing Democrat uh, in all in all like electoral uh, you know races uh, which is kind of uh, fascinating like what do you have to say about uh, you know like do you think it was the same. At that time, as well, like the suburb always let down um, more radical, like politics. This, this well, is why I, Karthik
6: is one of the more interesting people to come on this show because, like, he'll sit back in the cut for like twenty minutes and then he'll come out with uh, something like that, and you're like,
4: oh.
5: Should have been out for the player. You could have. Like, no, the cobra, these, these were the, first the cobra. It's just, it's
10: Karthik amazing. is our <laughs> ghost face. Let's face yeah,
4: yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll take fun. that. Yeah, well, well,
10: forest is is definitely jizza because <laughs> he likes to jizza <laughs> <laughs> sorry i i was not gonna go there with that joke and then i did oh, you I should thought have there, the, there, yeah. i
5: thought it was all the, the 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 coffee and cigarettes i thought i was gonna be everyone's looking for old dirty bastard <laughs>
10: well i'm in i'm in recovery right now so i'm allowed coffee and cigarettes that's that's what i've been telling myself and everyone else so
6: so back on I mean, point. You know, uh... I,
5: if you're in, if you're in a, a, a recovery enough, that's your whole diet. There's no food involved. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, a, there's a certain level of like AA. You reach a certain I'm... AA belt, and then or like you know or NA belt, and then all of a sudden like you're only allowed to have coffee and cigarettes. For yeah, I'm
10: months. the the Jim Jarmish uh, diet.
5: Wait, was <laughs> in well, the, the player in the player when he's like, oh, I've been going to the AA meetings. He's like, oh, you have a drinking problem. And he's like, no, that's where all the deals are made. Now. <laughs> <laughs>
6: But but back to the point, I think if Haddonfield, Illinois was a real place, I think these days it would not only be a swing district, but it would have the kind of like Tabula Rosa, a Democrat that's like, oh, he's a veteran or like whatever, or like a lawyer, prosecutor or something like some nothing Democrat running probably went for Trump in 2016, you know, went for well, that, Biden, but like, just barely in that, 2020. That's but hold on, was let, me, let, me okay. let me finish. Sorry, me finish. sorry, you're describing think,
5: my district right now, <laughs> but I think no, it's no, 78- like literally are, and it kind of looks like Haddonfield if you go to certain parts of it.
6: And I think in '78, it was probably solid Democratic, and that tells you the difference between the '78 movie versus the 2018 movie. So go, go forth now. That's that's what Sweet. I wanted to get out. That was it.
7: I, I was just going to say that that gets back to what I was trying to get across earlier. With I think throughout most of the sequels, except for maybe the second one, I think you get this impression that. There's maybe a like a Republican underbelly uh, to Haddonfield. Um, in some of the sequels, you have like a vigilante sort of uh you know rednecks trying to stop Michael at one point. And I think you you see a little of that in like 2018's movie. Uh, there's like a lot of rural elements to it and whatnot. I think it's it's an interesting take because um,
5: I think there's that the that like department. impression
7: they're that realizing- oh these people could vote for Trump.
5: In real life, it's kind of like Lanford,
10: with, uh... you know, how, in, you know, the original Roseanne series, they weren't Republicans and maybe Lanford right. and Haddonfield are adjoining suburbs.
5: Then uh, then Roseanne had a little bit too much uh, NyQuil and and
10: maybe maybe Roseanne is uh, Michael Myers or actually Dan <laughs> Dan is the more body type, though. I'm
4: talking Every, about every time Roseanne
10: dialogue. cut him down, he would get, you know, he would get out his anger by like chopping up people over in Haddonfield. And oh, okay.
4: before,
8: you, before you came in, uh, I think I think I uh, brought up how um, Michael Myers uh, greatly resembles like Ryan Adams um, and could easily be like uh, a kind of emo uh, <laughs> uh, country singer who writes a lot of sad songs about love and loss and uh, and all of that. And that's kind of how, uh, you know, why he has to stab people, because, you know, that's kind of his way of making a mark.
6: Loomis He's should have handed her. him an acoustic. Mm -hmm. have you
5: ever seen uh barton fink yes
6: love that one
5: because that john goodman terrifies the shit out of me after watching that movie
10: the cone brothers found a way to make that guy edgy
5: (laughs) more than edgy he has everything's burning behind him and he's like he's you know he's a serial killer i listen I, I, (laughs) i have a clip for you it's a rob zombie um it's John Car- Carpenter yeah. responding to the, to the Rob <laughs> Zombie <sequel>. oh. so, <laughs> so I, I promised, I yeah. promised like, yeah. something, something like this that I would find. So <laughs> here it is. And this girl is Swedish, apparently. That's quite the intro.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say nice things about him, but, you know, we did this uh, – I thought it was it was gonna be a real cool deal for the, the history channel, the biography channel, whatever that is. They were gonna do about Halloween. I thought, ooh, that's pretty cool. Until I noticed that they did one on Caddyshack. And I thought, wow, <laughs> what is this? Anyway, they interviewed him on that on that biography ch- and channel, and he lied about me. He said I was very cold to him when he told me I was going to and that he was gonna make it. Nothing could be further from the truth. I said, make it your own movie, man. You know, this is yours now. Don't worry about me. I was incredibly supportive. Why that piece of shit lied, I don't know. (laughs) He had no reason to. Why did he do it? So, frankly, uh, that will color my response to the film. Uh, If I take that away, I I did not. I I thought that he took away the mystique of of the story by explaining too much about the guy. I don't care about that. It's supposed to be a force of nature. He's supposed to be almost supernatural. Yeah, knowing about that I was, and he was too big. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't normal. Anyway, yeah. come here. Anyway. Great. <laughs> well, thank you. Okay, where are you from? Sweden. Excellent work.
3: <laughs> I love you, And the fear got taken
4: down. Just kidding.
10: I've seen Rob Zombie's yet yeah. yeah but I've know. seen White Zombie multiple times. I've never seen the the Rob Zombie experience though.
2: <laughs> a, I'm the villain of
6: our generation, everybody.
4: <laughs>
7: that that clip just has me wondering what Rob Zombie is going to do for his. I mean, he's remaking the Munsters now as a movie, and I'm like, kind of like half horrified now. Oh God, what is he going to do with that?
10: He's not gonna put a rape scene in it, I hope. That would scar me for life.
6: Since okay, so on the on the Dune episode, I trash talked Han Zimmer and, and he deserves it. But Rob Zombie actually deserves it more because that guy's a freaking prick. And I have that from pretty good authority, aka a band that has toured with him. And he's an a.k.a. A.k.a.
5: Conan banged Rob Zombie's uh boy. <laughs> Sherry. <Sharing the moon. laughs> not- yeah, nice. I'm getting. I mean, she, I, she, she scares me, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he's going to win the Haddonfield District in the <laughs> local congressional that's right. Election.
6: Vote Neutron and prosper. Which
5: I think you should trash Ram Zombie a little bit. But I also do want to um, – I, I cut the the clip of the uh, John Carpenter stuff too with the music. So I do, I, I do want you to go through that. Um, very soon, so it's a good segue. Oh, you mean the
6: theme song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll gladly. I mean, I'll gladly talk trash about Rob Zombie too. But like, I'm theme song is brilliant. I mean, that's uh, it's it's first of all, it's five four, so it automatically like
4: <laughs> yeah,
6: like you don't have to be King Crimson to understand that that's kind of off putting for some. You know, if you're used to more fo- four four sensibility, um, it's inexorably tied to the to it the That sounds, sounds very
5: suburban, by the way. A four four sensibility.
6: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, think like the Beatles or something, you know, it's just 440 rock and roll. And like, I could get into the why it's weird and like why it's sort of like, Oh, why is that off-putting to like, you know, like the, the, the regular ear and whatnot, but it doesn't matter. It's just a very clever way of doing what's kind of a simple melody line and making something really iconic in a way that like, think about like what other things are so inexorably tied to a film.
2: Psycho.
6: Psycho, mm-hmm. sure. Two Bureau Bells, Mike Goldenfield with the, uh, the Exorcist, right? But there's a small and, and both
5: list. and both uh which interestingly, The Exorcist is another movie that I think that got referenced a lot when John Carpenter was making this. It was like Psycho, the Exorcist but really the two big movies they took inspiration from. But both uh both the Psycho theme and the Halloween theme, like you can pretty much listen to them anywhere, and yeah. it kind of it makes your experience far more fucking intense. Um, like, like, because it's, in, it's inexorably tied
6: to this incredibly tense thing,
5: which like, is I, I think also I think also it's it's the sounds that they're kind of you know like like pulling like I think if you heard either of those songs and hadn't seen the movie I think there was still like the the, the you know the distortions that they're kind of going for with the music would still um, alarm you in some way like your your brain would still kind of be in a situation where because I mean the psycho specifically the psycho theme. You feel like you're getting stabbed while listening to it if you're listening on yeah. speakers. And, and then, as we
6: established in the Psycho episode, like that same composer did stuff for a bunch of Hitchcock's movies, and it's all pretty great. But like Psycho is great in a way that's just like that will stand until the end of time. Yeah, I feel like I'm like getting stabbed when I listen to Drake. With the- <laughs> <with> the-
2: <laughs> well, there's also something about the melody too that and reminds me. Over, of
5: but it's far from over. <laughs>
2: The, the the melody too reminds me a bit of uh of Psycho, not the you know not the shower scene stabs, but like the 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 score itself. Um, yeah, how it had that same kind of uh ripped kind of play through it, and uh, there's something not dissimilar with uh, with Halloween. And I also love the discordant notes that would be uh be played where where like you know they would just you know like they they kept more and more discordant notes kept coming, and it was just like 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 would help build the tension beautifully.
4: You can well, do I Viv- so Viv- right.
2: Vivian
10: Lee yeah. took G- little Jamie Lee put, you know, put her on a lap one day and said, you have to make a horror being a horror film with an iconic soundtrack. And that's how you're going to make it. And that was the best advice she ever gave her.
6: <laughs> so all those, things, <laughs> most of those things are true. That's not true. But like the, uh, <laughs> I don't think maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, she did give us only- some weird
5: advice that I heard in that uh, podcast, but cool, I don't I, know what it there. was. I just, I just remember she gave her some, uh, you know, she gave her some pretty pretty explicit advice. On But football. she said, "Show
10: show your tits in an Eddie Murphy film."
5: <laughs> 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 so the
4: Murphy, that's,
10: that's good nice advice fun. too. That's that's job security.
5: Eddie Eddie Murphy the future. That's what she said. <laughs> so
6: the score is iconic in a very specific way that I'm not sure if it would have the same cultural significance that it, that uh, if it came out today, like even if like it was possible to make a movie like Halloween today, I don't think it would have the same cultural significance because it hit at a point where there wasn't a million and a half like musical cues that immediately make you think of the thing. Think of like Beetlejuice. Right, Danny Elfman's score. Like, if you hear that, you're like, "Oh shit!" Like, you imagine Mike Michael Keaton getting up the antics. Oh, there he is. I see him. He's doing the stuff. You know, don't like, say it three times. Yeah, don't do it. Don't say <laughs> it.
4: <laughs>
6: <laughs> but like with Halloween specifically, and uh, you know, it, it it's it's like the minor key stuff. It's like the occasional use of dissonance and things along those lines. There's a thing that it's not over the top. There's really not that much to it. So much so. That in the 2018 movie, it's repurposed a few times, not the least of yeah. which, like one time, as like like a slow like like maudlin sort of like creepy. I'm glad JG Michael actually
5: watched it because he was like, "Oh, there's not going to be spoilers, right? If I don't get to watch it." And I was like, and "I was like, I can't promise that. <laughs> no way." <laughs>
6: No promises. It, 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 the movie night no extravaganza, promise.
8: It's, it's kind of <laughs> like, um, it, it's f- funny how, like, suburb suburbia based movies uh, at the time kind of tried to recreate almost like a suburban uh, eeriness or creepiness of like a lot of stillness involved and a lot of like quiet and then like something jumping out. And it's almost like the quiet. Uh, preempts the the possibility of something jumping out and intimidating you at all points, or like people are always afraid of something like that happening, which makes you wonder what what that thing that they're always afraid is going to hit them is. Um, I,
4: I, I was going to say black,
5: it's a black it's a black neighbor. <laughs>
4: I, no, I, was, what, I was gonna say I mean, that's
10: why they're all in white suburban neighborhoods all the slasher films because they don't have other things to really be afraid of except oh, yeah. for supernatural shit like candy man's an exception but like it, you know you, in in the hood like there's real shit to be afraid of and like yeah. like leprechaun in the hood <laughs>
5: <laughs> classic by the way
4: Dude, I, I'm I can't help myself of, uh... i'm sorry <laughs>
2: Of uh, Lily, are I supposed school?
5: to go on your podcast with Jason at some point and talk about? Leprechaun we, in the hood? we are
7: we are going to do that hopefully. Okay. Leprechaun in the hood and back no. to the hood. Beautiful I'm afraid leprechaun. of
5: leprechauns. If I saw a leprechaun, I'd be. Scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, you know
2: what I want to see is Andy. You know what? You know
5: what? You know what? Irish people would do to Italians back in like <sighs> the the 1900s they'd be the shit out of them yeah i'm from
10: chicago there's leprechauns everywhere they they there are police they inhabit state state Uh, office so i'm not afraid of i'm only afraid of them because they tax me but i'm not
7: really that
5: afraid of them
10: real quick andrew you said you wanted to see amityville in the hood
7: that just got released that's an actual thing now wow yes
5: i've been to long island i've seen that
2: (laughs) (laughs) i've seen amityville uh you know the house it's, no, I it's,
5: meant I meant no, I meant Emneyville in the Hood. I've been to Long it,
7: Island. I've seen it. <laughs> real quick, it's interesting since we were talking about the suburban terror element and uh whatnot. I think I think one of the things that that John Carpenter was trying to get at when he was talking about the Rob Zombie movie is you know, I, I think suburban terror works because you don't know everything about these families live in these houses and they have this veneer of being you know white picket fence we're respectable whereas in the rob zombie movie he just shows you everything it's like oh michael's dad is a crazed alcoholic
5: and his mom
7: is you know stripping at the red
5: but rabbit or whatever the more know? the more you see about michael myers the less scary he gets yeah I, I yeah yeah with, i i agree with john carpenter on that point point, 100 percent, and i agree with I mean, I don't, I never thought of him as a writer in general, besides like, you know, this is the end, but I think, or or whatever, like, um, this is the end, fucking Danny McBride as a writer, like, you know, he he has a lot of stuff talking about how similar it is to write comedies, where you really have an emotional attachment to characters who are making you laugh, but also are relatable in a certain way, and horror movies where you have a, a connection to characters that are making you scream, you know, like, in a certain way. Like or have some kind of at least elicited emotional response.
6: I don't. We're, think...
7: Whereas in Rob Zombie movies, you just hate everyone because you're like, these are all awful human beings. And that's why well, it's like a, that's, uh... why that's
6: like the new metal version of Halloween, right? Like it's like it's like no nuance whatsoever, all directionless rage. Fucking
5: hmm. sucks. It's also kind of like the Robert Rodriguez like machete kills. You know, like like at some point the gore gets so like so, at some point horror gets so over the top that you're kind of just like over it like you're desensitized to it. I I don't think that suburban horror would necessarily work today, but I was thinking about uh John Waters' like uh Serial Mom or whatever. Have you ever like with Kathleen mm-hmm. Barnard? Like I like just just that kind of movie. Like I I think maybe that was like the death knell for it. Like I I don't think I don't think suburbia feels safe now. Suburbia feels disconcerting because there's just been so much. Not because of anything that's happened in suburbia necessarily, but like just how much they've kind of mined that for scares, but and the like, burbs
10: came out like almost the same year, I believe.
5: Yeah, like, and 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 also just the fact that like uh, this generation where things are getting worse, the the suburbs and every house looking the same is disconcerting. Uh, under some kind of consensus, when we're creeps when it's me all, out. <laughs> <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. I, I hate I'm it. I'm not. A, I'm not a. Under t- under man. some
5: kind of white picket fence consensus that's not disconcerting necessarily. That's like, oh, that's just happens to be where we live. But at the same time, like, you know, how many people have covered, uh, little boxes that song, like, you know, like that song is the theme song
6: of weeds. Hmm. I was going to say this. And I would have gladly covered that if there was another season and anybody asked by the way,
5: (laughs) (laughs) but also like, you know, there's a good Pete Seeger cover. Like, you know, like it's a song that's gone back quite a bit where it's kind of like everyone just kind of gets shoved into little boxes, which kind of reminds you of coffins. At least me personally, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, it it's it's like a you know your whole life kind of is lived in a coffin. Like to me, and
6: ordinary fucking people, man, I hate them. Yeah, we need we needed Catherine on
10: this to talk about the PMC in Halloween because I'm I'm feeling that right now. Like that being constricted into these boxes. Like to a lot of people, that contributes to a lot of self hate because you can't uh meet meet up to like what the neighbors. are. Are doing and you know i think that is also kind of an underlying thing of the suburbs is that like you know if you look at nightmare on elm street you know there's that backstory about the family for burning freddie alive
5: episode. what was that no, i've watched it i'm just kidding i said don't spoil it for me it's sunday's episode oh, <laughs> oh I, no, was I was
10: just... gonna oh, right.
5: i just want to add it, something
7: elm. real quick on this whole note of like suburban terror there's even like in the build-up of the original halloween there's even like hints that they give that oh, every town has something like this you know like yeah. when uh, Dr Loomis and the graveyard caretaker are in the grave right. looking for Judith Meyer's grave and he's like oh old Charlie Bows took an axe and then as he's about to tell this story he's like uh oh, dang kids stole the grave you know and it, it's almost like uh it, like, it really' like, implying it, really it goes like, on everywhere
5: yeah they're really like blaming kids which yeah, yeah. Wouldn't, which which wouldn't which wouldn't make sense until you find out that like everybody on the crew of Halloween was like under 30. <laughs> like you know what I mean? They were either in their twenties, teens, or thirty. Like everybody on the set, like there weren't the, the oldest person on the set was like Donald Pleasants. Like you know what I mean? And he was only on the set for like three days. Which I do. have do you a know why he? I do. do you have know Donald why Pleasance he is
6: alleged? I, I can go on about this later. Go on.
5: But no. So but. Well, I was uh, going
6: kind of like, to say real quick that a, another dang kids moment is the hardware store robbery that they completely brush off. Right? Well, it's like oh yeah, you know they stole like this, this, and this. Must be some kids.
5: Whatever. But that kind of makes sense from like a suburban point of view, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, it, it's not it like they, sets
4: the tone. Yeah,
5: they don't, they don't steal money from the cash register. They don't steal, like, you know what I mean? It's not like they steal a bunch of fucking tools that, like, they're like, oh, they've stolen. Like, here's a list of tools that are going to drain. Yeah, they're the going to make a trebuchet
6: or something and shoot off like, some stuff in the woods. Who they're they like, know, oh, right? someone,
5: someone stole a mask and like some other, like, William Shatner mask. Which why would you want that in the first place? Like, mm. You have to be <laughs> able to sell that the entire fucking time it's been fucking here.
4: Oh!